and welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell. Today we chat about the Champions League final, the celebration, the sadness, the Europa League final, Sari, well not Sari, Toronto <laughs> FC against Vancouver Whitecaps and we preview the Women's World Cup. By the way, we'll have Kaylin Kyle on later to do that, so she'll be joining us. But the European season is officially over. How are we doing, boys? Sorry about your team, Shawnee. How did you take it? Tottenham losing? Oh, it was terrible. Oh, a difficult was, day for you? Yeah, it was a real rough one. It yeah. ended up with me just watching like the history of Tottenham on YouTube and, and just <laughs> to make yourself crush, feel worse or yeah, better. Yeah, to, to, and crushing a lot of beers. It, yeah. uh, I got, I got tucked into bed pretty early. Did I see day. on social media, you were watching it with a family of Liverpool fans. Is that yeah, how it works? My whole family, uh, like uh, we have Liverpool roots yes. and right. uh, me being a contrarian my entire youth, yeah. I was like, no, I'm going to pick another team <laughs> and watch David Ginola as a kid. And yes. he was the magic man. And so I started there and, then and you were, they bring me sadness. You were served a whole <laughs> dose of very, Poisonous medicine oh. on Saturday before that decision of being a contrarian. But good for you for sticking to your gun, Stevie. Thank we you. were together yep. for the Champions League final. I guess it's a little bit sad, isn't it? The European season's done and all, all wrapped up. But I guess there's lots of things to look forward to. By the way, thanks to the amazing Wade Elliott, who sat in my chair last week, <laughs> basically can take my job anytime he wants. <laughs> uh, but thanks, Wade. When, anytime you're back, just let me know and I'll, I'll take the weekend off. No, uh, we wish you were there, KJ. It would have been brilliant. The three as Shawnee put, put in a good shift. You did a great as, job. As your role, but I Nobody quite like Christian Jack, <laughs> so it would have been amazing if you were here. So we uh, missed you, mate. Uh, but we were together. Uh, we did the we took the red eye home from Vancouver on Friday night to get back to host an event, Footy Talks, on Saturday. It ended up being Liverpool two, Tottenham nil, an early goal and an early controversial goal and a late goal from uh, substitute Arigi, who by oh boy does he ever get big yeah. goals? I think he only scores big goals. Oh. Um, saw somebody by the way compare the Arigi goal to the Gary Lineker World Cup 1990 goal, which was very almost identical <laughs> against Germany, where it just it's just peeled. Yeah, yeah, left foot yeah. strike into the corner yeah. um, almost celebrated as you as much as that goal but in the end I don't know where you want to start here I don't really want to spend 10 minutes chatting about handball rules but we, yeah. can, we, we are going to have to talk about that aren't we but let's talk an overall picture first of all the game was really poor really disappointing were you surprised uh, yes I was surprised it was really poor there was no real moments of, of genuine quality from either side two sides that, that produce quality on a regular basis and I was I was surprised that Liverpool were so defensive. I know they got the early goal and they felt that that was probably the best way to go, but it was it was very defensive in the end. It was the right tactic, of course, but I think that was a risky game. And then I was uh, disappointed in Tottenham Hotspur mm. because when Liverpool sit back that deep and, and give Spurs so much ball to create very little real clear cut chances was was surprising for me. I know second half they had a bit of a push, and Allison made a couple of smart saves, but a goal of his ability I'd expect them to make every one of them none of them were spectacular in my opinion and uh, Spurs were too narrow too much through the middle just over and over trying the same tactic the intricate stuff and it's it's very difficult to do against any team never mind a team of Liverpool's strength and, and power and quality and and Liverpool I guess dared Spurs to beat them by sitting back and defending and in the end, it was the right thing to do, wasn't it? Because yeah. you couldn't find an answer. Yeah, I don't know whether it was, like you said, I'm not sure if it was by design. I think no. it was one of those where they got the early goal. No one ever imagined did score a goal that early. Second fastest Champions League goal final in, in history, by yeah. the way. Paolo Maldini in the 50, 50th seconds, I think, in the in the remarkable 2005 final yeah. uh, was, the, was the fastest. And I think after that, they were just thinking, okay, we are now precariously close to the 
to to the top here. Yeah. And for Liverpool, this whole season has been about the journey. It's been about the journey. And that wasn't about the journey. It was just about getting winning. to the top, yeah. wasn't it? It's just about winning at that point. Yeah. And the great thing that I've said all along, and we've said a lot this season, is that Liverpool, Man City, this whole European season has been defined by the journey and the process and the delivery. Ultimately, it's been so swashbuckling, so exciting, yeah. taking to another level, power, pace, technique, mental strength, all of the above and more. And in the end, it really wasn't about that. It was just about getting it done. Yeah. Just about getting it done for Liverpool. And I think that was down to the fact that one, they'd not won it this group before. So it was, re- yeah. like if this was next year, I think, and they've only won it, I think they would have approached it differently. They would have had a little bit more, bit, bit more looser. I don't know what yeah. you think about that. But also, I think because they were playing Tottenham, I just think that they thought, we're better than you. Yeah. And once they got to one nil, we thought, like you said, I don't th- they just thought we, we don't think you're strong enough to break yeah. us down. And, and Van Dijk, Matip, they were a colossus. They were brilliant up together. I and mean, then they wasn't tested too much, but Allison as well it wasn't yeah. just his saves; it was his positioning oh, to stop so things good. as well. Absolutely remarkable. Yeah, they um they they just knew Tottenham really well, didn't they? And I think that you can do your homework a lot on many of the best teams in Europe, but. There's nothing like playing a team that you know in your mm. league. You see week in, week out, you do many scouting reports and they knew them really well. And once they got that goal in the lead, they just felt uh, it was, it was the plan was to defend and to sort of challenge them to come forward. And I think they probably felt that they would, they would hit Tottenham more in the break than they did. Um, and that never really happened until the late stages where Origi got that second. But right. I think there was a, we, we challenged them before the game at our event and, and said, you know, the real the, the, this season depends on this result. They have to win for it to be successful. If they win, it's been very successful. If they lose, it's been um, calamitous, really, in the end. And so they played like that, didn't they? There was a manager that had lost six finals in a row that just wanted that trophy so badly. And a group of players that understood that, the, that they were the favourites. The pressure was on them to get the job done. And they just bunkered in. They created that solid base and... You know, Tottenham couldn't go through them. And I agree with you. Um, we know that Alisson's world class, probably, possibly the best goalkeeper in the world, fighting his, his uh, international colleague, Ederson, for that title, in my opinion. Um, and Van Dyke's the best centre half in the world. Mm. But I want to say a word on Joel Matip. Van Dyke got the man of the match, KJ, but I think it was Matip. Yeah. He was absolutely outstanding. And the development in his game, the improvement we've saw from him throughout this season has been remarkable, in my opinion. There's nothing like, you know, from, from the past when I played that position, but there's nothing like playing next to a, a truly outstanding player. I, I had that in Newcastle with Jonathan Woodgate and it made my game 10 times better. Right. But uh, So Van Dyke's incredible. He's there, he's helped Matip, but Matip has improved so much. I thought he was man of the match. The two of them were so solid and they're a difficult team to break down. The midfield worked so hard and Spurs, like I said, were too narrow. They lacked that real quality in a wide area. I think that the fullbacks are game. Rose is a little bit better, in my opinion, than Trippier, but I don't think they're up to that level of football Champions League winners. And that was the key, that if they, if they had better fullbacks and more dominant fullbacks, I think the plan or the, the key to, to beating Liverpool was in wide areas. And unfortunately, two of the weaker players in wide areas, Tottenham Hotspur, and that proved to be the case. Yeah, you get found out in finals, don't you? Yeah. You get found out. Your weakest point gets found out. Um Klopp, by the way, a word about him. You talk about him losing in his finals. You know, he's taken Liverpool from really just a mid-table Premier League team. And they were like finishing seventh and eighth. Yeah. By the way, they finished seventh and eighth five out of six years in a row before he got there. Um, he's transformed the club. 
to title contenders, records in the Premier League points total, 97, three European finals, never lost a two, two-legged European tie. That's incredible. Think about that. Yeah. And in the end, it was just about getting it done for him. And I don't know if you've seen some of the pictures over the last 24 hours or so of him leaning on the yeah. back of a bus and drinking. He's you know, unbelievable. You know, let's talk about six, baby, and all this stuff oh, that he's been going what, on. It's he's, just this he's guy such is such a magnificent how can man. You, isn't you gotta love the guy. You've got to love him. I mean, who who doesn't love this guy? He's so infectious and so natural, isn't he? Yeah. It's not put on, is it? It's just no. who the guy is. And the, the let's talk about six video for anybody who's not seen it go search it on Twitter or, or on the internet he keeps it's going too he doesn't just stop at that he, he wants keeps to singing sing it. the whole song <laughs> he does. doesn't he he's some man he is some man I saw the shades on the Sunday as they oh, were getting yeah. on the bus in Madrid yeah uh, Henderson and then Clark and I was thinking they had a good party last night and 100%. it's probably going to carry on into the Sunday and uh, Monday and Tuesday 100% and I think that's ultimately the overriding images that the games will have to remember is that these guys like you mentioned Jordan Henderson did you see his embrace with his father amazing now the story um the great danny taylor who is the best journalist in the uk in my opinion wrote a story about his dad and the chemotherapy that he's been through yeah. and the hell that he's been through and wasn't able to go to brazil to watch jordan henderson play in the world cup for england and the the the, the months of trying to hide his his cancer treatment from his son so his son could concentrate and try and fight for his place in the liverpool team it wasn't you know it was six or seven years ago when brennan rogers told um, Jordan Henderson that you can go to Fulham for a swap deal for Clint Dempsey yeah. and he almost left and there yeah. he is lifting the greatest trophy yeah. in the sport the Champions League in the middle of Europe and just doing what, what a what a moment you and I had a great chat quickly right after that because Jordan, it's not just about Jordan Henderson it's it's the portrayal and the image of a guy who's worked to get where he is and got everything out of him not He's not, you know, he's not got Neymar's talent. He never will. There's so many other better footballers, so many better footballers who never made it yeah. than Jordan Henderson. And the example that he set for everybody else to get it and to be there to lift that trophy is is what sports can bring. And and and, and unless you're an Evertonian, you've got to love it. You have to. Yeah, you have to. There was a, a wonderful picture of him on the airplane. Don't know if you've seen it. Uh, like fancy airplane, and he's he's got his feet up on the European Cup with right. the ribbons coming down. It was absolutely amazing. He's staring right at the camera, and his his smile is beaming. This is a guy that that's worked so hard, like you said, to get to that level and never gave up. And anybody listening, any kids listening, any budding young soccer players, football players, determination is a very valuable asset. I promise you. It'll take you as far as you can go and, and always remember that. You'll have coaches tell you you're not quick enough, you're not strong enough, you're not skillful enough, you don't get the game. They'll tell you everything, but determination is something that comes from inside, inside a person, inside a football player. And you'll always get to the pinnacle of where your talent will take you. You've got to practice. You never give up on getting better in technical areas and understanding the game, but never, never allow someone to tell you that that determination is not the most important thing. There's a lad there who, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a very, very, very good football player. Oh, but when you look at world-class players, he's not on that level. And he's captained a team, one of the best teams in, in English football history to a European Cup and he's lifted it. And uh, and it's all down to that determination and that never-say-die attitude. So uh, I just want to say that it's it's a very valuable asset and, and Jordan Henderson's got it in spades. I tell you, if, if he stays and plays at Liverpool, who knows if Liverpool change going a different direction. There'll be a host of clubs lined up to sign that yeah, guy no because doubt. of what he brings and the leadership that he has. Yeah, both him and James Milner for that reason as yes. well. And great to see Milner win it as well. Um, 
Pochettino was adamant afterwards, asked about the process of, of, of picking Harry Kane. And he said, you guys have no idea how many layers we went into that. We had made the right decision. We were wondering at halftime whether it was, regardless of whether it was or it wasn't. Ultimately, when you're down one, no, the longer the game won on, he was in a situation where he couldn't take him off. I've yeah. seen people write that Klopp was applauded for taking off a clearly unfit Roberto Firmino making yeah. the change on the hour and Tottenham should have done that with Harry Kane. It's easy to say that in a newspaper yeah. when you're sitting in the stands in it, when you're writing for him, when you're in a Champions League final and you're down one nil and you got 65% of the ball and you're creating a lot of chances, you're going to take Harry Kane off then? You can't. I uh, completely agree with Pochettino and Tottenham Hotspur keeping Harry Kane in the field. You cannot take him off and I wholeheartedly disagree with them starting the game. Now, they can look at all the analytics in the world and they can say he was ready and it was the right decision. But ultimately, our eyes and his performance tell us that he was not fit. He was nowhere near it. The ankle might have been fine. Uh, um, Pochettino, sorry, was saying at the end of the game that his, his, his energy, his numbers were up at the end of the game. There was some of them missing through the break, through the, the layoff, at the most important time in the European calendar, the, the, the sort of February, March, April, May, in early June that's when it matters KG they're, they're the months that everyone's at 100 miles an hour mm. everyone's at their prime these pros are, are, are absolute professionals and they're ready for every game and the layoff had, had took that away from Harry Kane and I think that it was the wrong decision and only hindsight can tell us that he might have put the ball in the back in the first minute but he was off the yeah. pace and once he's off the pace there's no way you can take him off the game because he's a guy that will score whether he's hobbling on one leg or, you know, he's absolutely exhausted. He'll put the ball away if the chance comes to him. He just couldn't create any chances mm. because he, had, he didn't have the fitness levels to do it. Yeah. There's a lot of things we can get into here. Probably not got time for them. I, I'm not a big fan of the game being played June 1st. No, I th I too late. It, too late. And I know people have said some of the European seasons have just finished. Okay, well, if you want to keep it June 1st, tell me why the Premier League finished May, March, uh, May 13th or 12th when they rushed it to start the season after the World Cup and started yeah. weeks, sometimes two or three weeks before other continental leagues. Why didn't you finish when other leagues finished? And then you, they would have been a little bit more fit. Anyway, that's just a, a, an idea. I, I think for me, it definitely impacted the game. Um, hashtag ask AFP. Ditty asks, did the handball ruin the match? We do have to address this quickly before we move on. Did it ruin the match? I, I think it definitely had a factor. It was definitely an impact on it. Was it even handball? Lots of things out there. You can go read them over the last couple of days about the new handball rule and now taking away the intent and some people suggesting even that Sadio Mane just kicked the ball deliberately at Musa Sissoko's arm. I'm not quite convinced that was it, but... Uh, you know, me and you were doing an event and at one point I found myself asking myself, why am I even bothering asking this question? We were evaluating how long Musa Sissoko's hand was up pointing <laughs> to his opponents while he was stood in the box. I'm like, what is this game coming yeah. to? What is it coming to? It was, uh, I, I, at the end of the day, it's one of those where I don't think I will ever get, very rarely do I see a handball where it's clear jury, judge, everybody would say, yes, you're completely guilty. Yeah. You know, it's some, it's just because of the way the rules are written, even the new rules are convoluted. It's just an annoyance. It's just an annoyance I could do without. I'm, I'm glad you said that. It was it was sad, wasn't it? Yeah. It was sad that this is the, the biggest game and uh, probably, was well, definitely European club football, maybe world club football, yeah, no doubt. the Champions League final. And it was it was decided it was it was ruined by a handball, a ridiculous, absurd handball. Now, this is our game, isn't it? This is the fans' game. This is the players' game. This is this is the people's game, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. And why don't we get 
everyone in the room, the, the, the key stakeholders and get an opinion from everyone and ask them, who wants this? Mm. Who wants a handball every time it grazes or smacks off somebody's hand in the box? Who wants that? Mm. The players want that? No. The coaches want that? No. The fans want that? No. Nobody wants this, KJ. So why don't we make a sensible decision as a group, the rule makers, FIFA, UEFA, the, the, the rule makers of the game, a sensible decision, come to an agreement that X, Y and Z is a handball and, and other things are not. You know, and, and this one to me is ridiculous. Sizoko's doing a good job. He's pointing back. He's he, he, Whether he leaves the hand up too long or not, who knows. But he's pointing, he's telling his, his defender, hey, the guy coming in here, make sure you got him. Comes off his chest, then off his arm. Total fluke, total luck. His arm isn't stopping the ball going into a dangerous area. It's basically come off his chest first. It's diverted off his arm. I thought it was an absurd decision. I, I really, the more I see it, the more angry it makes me, the more disappointed I am in it. And I think that uh, a player, a Liverpool player, will never tell you this because he just wants that medal and to of lift course, that trophy. Yeah. But deep down, once they guys are honest and, and, and sit and having a beer in the pub or that, they'll say as well, we don't like that. We don't want that. So change the rules, everyone. Please get this thing right. Make it clear. Decide on two or three things that are a handball in the box and everything else is not. It's getting worse because of VAR as well. And we've seen handballs this year, Danny Rose in the Champions League. We've seen, there's many yeah. of them already that you're seeing that are just, yeah. you know, the, the anger and frustration comes down to one thing. It's because the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Yeah. That's why everybody is frustrated. We've all been watching this game for a long time, but you showed that if, if you show that to a sports fan for the very first time, they're the very first game if they've ever watched in soccer and they go, this is a low scoring sport and you're going to give them a free shot from 12 yards out for yeah. that. They're going to go, what on earth have you created here? Yeah. So why about, and this is not going to happen, but I've said this for many years. Why don't they have indirect free kicks? Yeah, I'm just going to say that. Right? For in, certain handballs. In, the only ways you shouldn't get it, I, I don't want a penalty at all, okay? Oh, never. Never. Never for Indirect free kick, okay? Yeah. Intentional handball that denies a goal-scoring opportunity, red card. Right. Okay. That's your punishment. Yeah. Right? Intentional yeah. handball that's, that the referee believes the ball is going in the net. Yeah. Red card. Yeah. Indirect free kick. It's punishment enough, 10, 10 men. Yeah. Okay? So there you go. Don't want penalties. Yeah. It's, they're hard. It's yeah. a hard game to score. It's a low scoring sport as it is. Okay? So I don't want them. That's that, But that, that's never going to happen. Well, so you, I understand you that. You've the point about Manny, some saying maybe he chipped off his hand. That's what'll start happening. These guys are so oh, yeah, good. They, they know see what a hand doing. out a little bit. They'll just play the ball right off the arm because right. they know it's going to get them such an advantage. That's right. So, you know, it's changing the game and it's, it's just making it a bit murky and a bit a bit dirty in my opinion you know just like sort it's of a bad out. taste doesn't it yeah it's, a bad it's taste. not good it's not good for the game not a great advert anything else from the game you want to say before we move on no I think that's about it yeah. uh, we, we can, you know Kane was a big one for me um, yeah no I mean Tottenham need to sign Origi Origi again, again, again yeah massive great moments they great won the moment. big moments Liverpool did they and yeah. um, Alison Baker's just incredible yeah. me and you were just loving we're loving it weren't yeah, we his position is brilliant he makes, he makes simple he makes things look simple that are not Mm. other goalkeepers 100%. it's a situation with him it's just dealt with 100% I said in the uh, pre-game show on our event that for me Tottenham were like um, a tube of toothpaste where the Pochettino squeezed everything out yep. it's, you got to throw it out now you got to go get that new toothpaste do you think he's definitely manager at the start of next no, season no I do not think I he's definitely either. manager at all wouldn't surprise me at all and it's down to uh, the club now to go out and sign some key players in key areas to go again 
because the last thing Tottenham fans want next year is Pochettino gone and them fighting for a Europa League spot. Yes. They do not want that because they've worked too hard to get where they are. Uh, we will get to TFC Vancouver shortly, but quickly a word on Chelsea Arsenal. We have to tell a story of how we watch this game. Yes. So you know um, that I consistently uh, watch uh, sporting events as live without knowing that happened when they're not necessarily live. In fact, I'm doing it right now. We're currently in the studio in England, Pakistan and the Cricket World Cup is happening. It's a massive game. Pakistan got a lot of runs and I'm very worried and I'm going to go home and watch the last 30 overs. So don't tell me anything's happening. But we did this on um, Wednesday. Was yeah. it Wednesday? We flew out yeah. to Vancouver and um, for about an hour and a half of our last of our flight, Chelsea played Arsenal in Baku and we got off and I said to Stevie, we tried to change our flights. We couldn't do it. Stevie was anxious. I'm like, look, we'll just not check our phones. We'll get a cab to the air, hard. cab to the hotel. We'll get the laptop up. He brought a cord. We hooked it up to the room, to the room and we fantastic. sat there and we watched the game and we were about two and a half hours behind and we didn't know and we watched it in all its glory as if it was live it and was you enjoyed it I you? really enjoyed that it I'm not sure I could do it again but um, <laughs> come on it's come it, over it was the magnitude of the it game it was better that we way we had to do it it was it was fantastic if we just, just landed and found out that Chelsea thumped Arsenal yeah, 4-1 we would have been, been like oh well I'm not going to watch that 90 minutes not going to watch that are we we would have watched like five minutes highlights <laughs> yeah. but we did watch it so we can analyse it yeah. Arsenal played well for to the start and they kept uh, you know Chelsea quite deep initially yeah. they were quite brave in their possession uh, but in the end, they got dismantled in the second half by a Chelsea team that just went up up the gears that Arsenal don't have. Yeah, absolutely. It was You're right, Arsenal were the better team in the first 25, 30 minutes, really dominating. I thought Maitland-Niles was, was one of their better players and they were really pushing Chelsea back, making it difficult for them to get out. And then the game just flipped on its head. It was the weirdest thing, wasn't it? It was... It was, uh, you know, just that sort of midway, 30 minute mark of the first half and Chelsea just thought, wait a sec, we actually got, we've got more than these guys. We're just going to come out and start Can't taking the game with you. Again, oh, brilliant. He, it was everywhere. Final, he yeah. was all over the field, kept getting into that, even that wide right position, just causing problems. You can't stay with a guy. It's he, he, He's smart, isn't he, as well? Mm. You know, he's not just the energy, he's... He's a very smart football player, the way that he makes his movements and he was starting to get some space and in turn that was giving Hazard some room. He started to have some little connections and dominant from Chelsea. One of the best performances by Chelsea this season. Arsenal were, were abject to say the least, but Chelsea were, were really good, KJ. Their, their football was sensational. Whenever Arsenal felt, especially the second half, they could maybe get a bit of pressure. It was one and two touch stuff into the middle out to a side and then you know right in on the in the back four back five of Arsenal and it was uh, it was very impressive stuff I, th- I thought that Chelsea were were excellent and you know their talisman again was of course Hazard they're going to lose him but there's enough there I, you know I mentioned Janinho in our top 50 yeah you did yeah he was excellent yeah. again yeah. I think that there's more to his game there's a sort of core there if they bring in some youthful legs and allow and well, we'll get to Sarri later but mm. allow him to play that style that he wants they could see a bit of progression here yeah we'll get to Sarri shortly uh, we said it though when Drew got the goal at 1-0 that I think I said to you at the time we're watching the game you never really fancy Arsenal once to go behind any game no and that was the problem you know they don't, you just look at them and you think how are you going to get back in this game and that's that was an indictment on them not just as a 
players, but I think mentally, you know, I feel a little bit sorry for Lacazette and Aubameyang because they can only do so much. They're clearly difference makers in one third of the pitch, yeah. but behind them, there's really no technicians. There's no leaders. Yeah. There's no real guys who you can help them and feed them that way. Alex Awobi is a nice player. He came on and made a difference. But what does that say about Arsenal? Exactly. He came on and made a difference. And that brings me to our next point. Mesut Ozil. Oh, like, I'm glad you brought Mesut up. Ozil is still missing, isn't he? Where's he gone? The papers Shock. are up in Azerbaijan missing. He was gone. <laughs> I mean, it was absolutely pathetic. It was shocking. And then it? he gets, and then to make it even worse, he gets subbed off in a final when they're down and they need goals. Yeah. And he and he's like walking off the field. Yeah, he looks so... Like sprint off the field and give your team a chance to get back in the game. His body language and demeanour is awful, isn't it? Yeah. We we talked about a guy who lifted the European Cup on Saturday night who squeezed everything, Jordan Henderson. Yes. Then you have this guy. Who's going to argue that Mesut is not 10 oh, times better player 100%. than Jordan Henderson? Yet, I know who I would want in my team right. first, every day of the week. Right. Every day of the week. The guy who's going to give you 7 out of 10. I know what he's going to give me. I know what he's capable of. He's going to give me his best. He's going to bring out the best in other people. And you've got a guy there, Mesut Ozil, a waste of talent. A waste, I I don't even know how I can say a waste of talent because he's going to go back into his career and he's going to write his honours down. He's won La Liga and he's I don't care World Cups. He doesn't make difference. He's not a difference maker in a big game. He's going to be disappointed with what he's he's done in his career because he should have done more mm. and he should have had more to, to his game. He should have been able to grab a game like that by the scruff of the neck and take it on. Mm. And he's not done it again. Uh, big problem. Major wages and going to be almost impossible to move him on do you take a, a hit do you just get I him think. out of your club I think Unai Emery will be pushing for that KG do he doesn't want him anywhere near that football club because he's a he's a, a bad influence in a lot of people a lot of players completely agree okay two Friday nights um, Canadian classic derby slash classic. rivalry slash snooze fest um, I don't really know where to go here we end up Vancouver Whitecaps 1 Toronto FC 1 we were there we expected um, an all action packed high tempo clash just to keep up the eastern com- uh, the eastern audience a little bit keep them awake but no they all went to bed because um, they put them to sleep yeah. it, was a tr- it was a really dreary game a poor game that both managers admitted to me at half time really lacked the tempo. That was the kind of the word they were using at half time to get them firing. Mark DeSantis was very unhappy with his team, as he said in his animated interview with me. Uh, Greg Vanny, before we, he went to address his team, spoke to me at half time and said the same thing. They had a lot of the ball. To be fair, TFC should have won this match. They almost lost the match. So, you, you know, what does that say about them and their consistency going forward? Concerns about Terence Boyd, who missed yeah. two golden chances. Um, but in the end, I think the Whitecaps, even though that they gave up the 90th minute equaliser, probably were more content than TFC because the Whitecaps know who they are. Yeah. The Whitecaps know who they are. They play a system. They're deep. They're comfortable playing deep. They played deeper than they wanted to. They weren't brave enough in possession they wanted to, but that sometimes is a consequence of when you get set and comfortable and yeah. you don't always want to break out. Of course. So they would have taken a draw against this TFC team. Um, but the manner in which they got it probably didn't please them. But TFC were just left again, scratching their head about the way that they set up in the game, the balance, the overall quality, the fact that they allowed again, the goal to come from nothing. Yeah. Really, Jordan Hamilton gave the ball away. Greg Vanny was furious. I've never seen him like that for a long time. Furious about the manner in which they gave the goal away. And again, TFC, after a decent performance, left asking a lot of questions. Yeah, uh, let's address the, the goal, the penalty. Uh kick and then and then the goal from Whitecaps. 
Hamilton gave the ball away. He shouldn't have gave the ball away. But there was three or four examples of that in the second half. So there's something wrong with the TFC shape, mm. right? So let's address that. Yes, he should have kept the ball. They're too vulnerable. They were open. They were wide open. Drew Moore made a great tackle maybe five minutes before where the same man, Jordi Reyna, was, was breaking forward. Big impact on the game that he had. Um, so, you know, the, the setup of TFC is wrong. The organisation is, is, is wrong. They were a side who were dominating possession, but they're vulnerable. Um, and then let's talk about the, the, the general game. I think that what I saw from the Whitecaps is what I expected. They were deep, they were defensive, they were difficult to break down. Um, they don't have enough pace in the team to transition from that deep to any sort of real meaningful attacks. Mm-hmm. Venuto was the only guy with any real pace. Everyone else is is is, is pretty one-paced and that's that's an issue. If they had more pace in that one of the midfield slots, maybe two, they could break and, and get support to, to Montero and Venuto quicker, but that didn't happen. And, uh, and TFC dominated possession. They were comfortable, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough from TFC. They, they had a chance there to go for Vancouver, to really test them more by upping the tempo and becoming more relentless and consistent with the attacks. But it wasn't like that. It was like a, it was like a testimonial. We yeah. used to say that about games. We come in at half time. It was anywhere near that slow. I don't know if I ever played in the game that slow. Why but, was it so slow though? Well, why? Because TFC. Why? Because TFC. Because they huffed it up the tempo. The number but of things. I guess that's my point. Is just that why do they? Why are they playing it so slow? Like they they should see what the Whitecaps are like. They should know that they've got more talent than yeah. the Whitecaps. So what, if they go through the gears and you play it with quicker and you move over from one side to the other, yeah. surely they're going to be opening them up. They, they were far too comfortable to defend against. You know what infuriates me about TFC? Even when they play it well and they go from, from right, I always think they're better when they go from one side to the other yeah. quickly. And they actually did it three or four times. And when they get in that other side, there is no end to the action. There's no cross, there's no shot, there's no uh, attempt at goal. And that to me is their biggest problem attacking wise at the moment once you swing a team like that a team that's set up to defend you must have an action you must have a shot at goal you must have someone that comes from it and the number of times uh, not picking on Justin Morrow or, or any real particular player it's a mindset in that team but it get, they get in a good area and they, they take the opportunity and oh, I'll just leave it I'll come back out and I'll go back into the centre and I'll go again and you're like, there's just passing for the sake mm-hmm. of passing. The number of times there's space to drive into where, you, you know, Larea had one where Vancouver were out of shape. First half, I, I couldn't hold it in. I think I, I broke in as Luke was talking. I said, why doesn't he drive into space? Again, I'm not picking on Richie Larea. It's just a mindset. Yep. Drive into space, confront a, a Whitecaps midfielder, and then play a 2v1. Have someone move off it, get into the little pocket and go through the gears. They don't recognise when to up the tempo and up the pace. And that to me is a big issue. That to me is a mindset from the players. Um, where does that mindset come from? It can only come from Monday to Friday. Right. It can only come from coaching. It can only come from a head coach and a coaching staff that are not standing on that the edge of that technical area saying... Why don't you go faster? Screaming, losing it in front of them to make them play faster. Why is that not happening? We don't really see that. We see Greg Vanny talk to you about it for two minutes at half time, KJ. He was aware of it. But we should yeah. have been looking down for our gantry, looking at eye, and you should have been, you know, 10 foot away from him saying, mm. 
Greg Vanny has been furious 10, 12 times in that first half because the chance was there. Right. TFC had that game in the first half. They weren't playing too bad. They were dominating possession. A good team, a, a big team. LFC would have been 4-0 up. Mm. Atlanta would have been 3-0 up. Uh, DC would have been up. Many teams, Seattle would have been 3-4-0 up. They would have went for the throat and, and went for the game. And TFC, maybe it's where they are uh, mentally right now. They're vulnerable. They're, they're anxious. They're, they're obviously not playing with confidence. But they never seized the opportunity that they had there in All-Canadian clash to go and take the game at Vancouver. I completely agree with everything you said. The one thing I would add to it is that, and the mental side you covered really well, that a lot of it is, some of it is just quality. They've been badly let down by the recruitment. And for me, I, I actually liked Pozuelo playing where he played in that game. Yeah, I've, been, I do. I've been saying it for a while. I want more forwards in more the, touches ahead of him. More touches, you? 65 of 73 passes. We'll get to Liam Fraser in a minute. 92 of 97. He was very good and was a man of the match performance. So you've got Fraser at the base. You've got Pozuelo with another midfielder. You've got Altador up top. Well, this time they play Boyd. But if you play in a four, then you should have two players either wide of that. Who, yeah. who are genuine attacking, like in a good team. Yep. In a good team, you've got Jordan Morris and Rodriguez. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Those kind of players yeah. who Jose Altador can come deep and he knows that they're going behind him. Yeah. And you're giving the opposition's defense a, a, a questions, or do I have to step back with them? Then spaces open up. Then Pozuelo's stepping into that space and then suddenly he's got three players to pass the ball yeah. to. Yeah. And that's how good teams work. Yeah. And they know that they need to go out and get the, at least one of those players. My concern would be, I'm not sure if they know that they need, they need two. You know, that's my, my concern. They don't yeah. have wide players. Greg Vanny continues to having to manufacture wide play. He's done it in, with, in the previous game against um, at, against San Jose where he played Morgan and Morrow down the sides. Yeah. I don't like that. You know, to me, just to, you're taking away what your best yeah. left back does. Justin Morrow's a left back. I'd like to see him play in a left back in a four. I'd like to see that going forward, but you can't do that consistently when you've got no wide players. Yeah. That's the concern. I'm with you and I think they the coaching staff admitted this down on the sidelines. Occasionally when they don't have the ball, a lot of their independent assignments, they're running all over the place. They're not sure where they should be. Yeah. And that's a, that's a concern as well. Uh, so lots of question marks. Look, Omar Gonzalez is coming. We've, you know, I, I broke the story this morning. We'll get to that in a second. That's going to help yeah. them defensively. It's an enormous gamble. You think it's it has the first to be they need. It's an enormous gamble. No, they need attacking players, yeah. but they're coming. I think at least right. one is coming. Um, uh, but I will say this about about the Omar Gonzalez signing. It better be right. Yeah. Okay. Omar Gonzalez is going to be thirty-one in October. He hasn't got a great deal of mobility. Yep. Okay. But what he does do first is defend. Yep. So that's the th- the the one thing that they need to get this right. They is cannot, he an organizer? He's an, organize? I mean, he's going to have to be. He's, he's going to have to be. He's going to have to be a leader, a big team leader. A big time leader. And as I said, someone said to me today, um, a cornerstone. That is how they view him going forward, yeah. a cornerstone. The one thing I would give them, I would give them credit for is that they have addressed their defense. And I said this the first day I did TSN, the TSN broadcast for TFC this season, the first game in Philadelphia, I said this, we will know a lot about TFC when they board that plane to Vancouver. I said it, that give, give them March, April and May, and then you have to evaluate that. Yeah. And they've looked at it and they've gone, we've gone out and bought Lawrence Simon. We've got Drew Moore, Chris Mavinga and Eric Zavaleta. And they've addressed that and they've looked at it and goes, we need someone else. Yeah. They've quickly understand, they've realized that. They said last year they need to go get that guy. They got Lauren Simon and they're not happy. Yeah. They're not they're not happy with him. So you gotta give them credit for that at least. But no, it wouldn't be my first area of need. But maybe they feel like they're gonna they're gonna get other ones as well to come. 
it's uh, uh, it's 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 a mess. It is a mess. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm not certain it's that it's a player. I think it's a mindset. Yeah, right. I think it's going through the entire squad. I mm. think it's a mindset. I don't think they're they're set up to defend. I don't think they're properly uh, organised behind the ball, behind any attacks. I don't think they, they, we've addressed. They don't attack with any pace or any real. Uh, identity, but even when they lose the ball, they're they're very vulnerable. And so, um, I know Gonzalez is a quality player. I've not seen him play a lot in the last few years, but I think I played against him when he was in MLS MLS with uh, LA Galaxy. But I just think that it's a mindset, KG. I just think that um, they they need someone to galvanise that back line and, and allow everyone else to understand what it means to defend you know as a defender as soon as your team start to go in the attack if you're a proper defender you're thinking what if hmm. what if this happens and that happens so immediately you're going you go in there you shuffle a little bit to the right we're going to get this right at the back and we're going to be on the front foot we're going to be ready for what might happen you're not watching the attack you're actually thinking negative yeah. this attack's going to break down where are we vulnerable yeah. and I don't think TFC think like that Right. I don't think it's any slight on the player that Mavinga is in terms of on the ball or Zavaleta or Drew Moore or Simon they've all got quality a few of them are MLS Cup winners uh, one of the guys has played for the Belgian national team like <laughs> We're not talking about average players here. We're talking about guys that are not set up with a mindset to defend. The one thing I want to address when we're talking about Gonzalez and we're thinking about wide players, it's actually turning into a bit of a wide player league, this. Mm. You think about the best wide players. Oh, you no think doubt. about Elise, Houston Dynamo, mm -hmm. top class, yep. one of their big players. Blanco in Portland, mm -hmm. unbelievable. Johnny Russell, Sporting Kansas City. Yep. Morris Rodriguez. I go through every team. Even Salinas, the impact that he has. He's had a great impact, yeah. The connection. Yeah. Barco. Yeah. Piatti. Ariola. I could go on and on. Ariola. Yeah. It's Ton Antuna looks quality at early Galaxy. He's got a bit to learn, a bit to go. Oh. And you're seeing guys emerge in every market who have the ability to pick up the ball in wide areas, run at defences and unsettle back fours. And TFC don't have anybody that resembles that in the slightest. It's a massive gap and a massive problem. And a lot of those players are... South American. Yes. TFC don't have any South American attackers. Um, quickly, before we get to Shawnee, and we will address Omar Gonzalez there, and maybe Shawnee will push this Liam Fraser question to ask AFP as well. Just before I do move on, it was the Whitecaps as well, and it, most of the storyline was TFC, yeah. but the Whitecaps, 17 points in the last 11 games. Now they are comfortable in knowing who they are. Yeah. And I think they're okay with that. Yeah, we had the brilliant chat with Mark DeSantos, we did. didn't we? A real mind of the game. It was fantastic to, to listen to him. We spent a lot of time with him and um I, I, I commend him on how um how smart and how much humility he has because it's easy to go in there and talk about four three three and free flowing football and everything's gonna change and it's gonna be so exciting. And then you get there and you can do one of two things. You see the the talent you have, you bring in some talent, maybe it didn't quite develop like you would have hoped mm. and you can go right I'm going to keep forcing this down th people's throats and I'm going to ask guys to play a style that they're not capable of playing or you can go how do I win games how do I get results and I'm going to change my philosophy a little bit I'm not going away from it I want to get back there he told us that basically yeah. but this is about surviving this is about uh, learning and adapting they've done that really well they know who they are they're solid defensively they're not that pretty watch. They're not that different for the Vancouver that we've watched for three or four years. They're maybe even a little bit worse. But 
I think they've got a guy there that has a clear idea of where he wants to go. I think they've got a guy there who's a, a, a terrific coach and a guy who's who's ready to, to to get results in the short term to try and get the players to play the style that he wants in the long term. And uh, the Whitecaps are doing that. They're in a tough fight in the Western Conference, but credit to them. Reyna was brilliant when he came on. They need him fit. He's one of the true pace, shining lights. Pace, pace yeah. and something different and, and allows them, like I said, to break from that midfield area into the attack Venuto showed some signs of improvement and bomb has got talent but they're going to be a defensive team for the whole season and they're going to have their success on the back of conceding very few goals if they are going to sneak into the playoffs yeah pace something again that TFC lack yeah. significantly and as I always say the um, Mark DeSantis has evaluated his own talent yeah. than anybody else yeah. he's evaluated it he's looked at it he's been patient a bit what's the best that I can do to get the best out of these players yeah and that's all you can ask. And that's where you, they are climbing up the Western, uh, the Western standings. Over to you, Shawnee. Sorry about that. We took a little long there, but uh, we'll get over to you now for the uh, <laughs> I went all, a few all rants. important that was headlines. A that was okay. No problem at all. Uh, we'll go right back at Omar Gonzalez. Um, obviously, your thoughts on the move, you've let that know. But it's like they've spent a lot of money on their back line. Do you see any and the defenders moving out? Or do you see this as just as an addition to the back line? I think they'll go. I think one will go. Eventually, don't you? I mean, they need to, why don't they? I mean, they have to try they, and get rid of one. They have to get rid of one. Or, and I've floated this idea out a number of times, and this comes from nobody inside knowledge. It's just my own knowledge of my own thoughts about the game is that, or you play Lauren Simon permanently at right back. Yeah. That's the, you know, because they don't really have any, like this arrow being in, arrow being out. Nick De Leon playing there sometimes, Richie Lared playing there yeah. sometimes. You want to build a really good team and you want to go, okay, let's play with a back four. And suddenly you go in, okay, let's go Lauren Simon, Omar Gonzalez, Chris Mavinga, Justin Morrow. Well, it's starting yeah. to look like a, a decent back four. Because yeah. I'm sorry, even when he's in the team, Arrow's not been good enough lately. No. Nowhere near good enough. So that, that, but other, I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. I've not heard anything from inside. So I think one of them, you can't carry five center backs. I mean, what's the point? You know, and unless you really go to a back three for the long term, yeah. but for no, all, but all our accounts are that he doesn't want to, want to that. play that. So he doesn't want to play that. And, and Greg Vanny doesn't want to play Simon at right back because it's against his philosophy and how he sees the game. He likes fullbacks to be high uh, and he likes them to be agile. I agree with you, KJ. I think it might be a decent option. I think a, a team conceding too many sloppy goals need to get a bit more solid. And, you know, we mentioned Mark DeSantos going away a little bit from what his true beliefs are in the game. And maybe Greg Vanny has to do that a touch as well. But one of the guys have to go. I mean, I don't know the the exact numbers, but you know they'll be out soon. They'll, and when when you see the numbers of the four that are there and and what Gonzalez is going to be on, it's incredible, and it 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 shows the the real lack of balance within that squad. It's salary cap league. You've only got so much money with Tam and DPS and whatever else you can bring in. It's a salary cap league, and the balance is not right. And they've got guys that they don't trust on too much money. Is there to follow up on that though? Is there value around the league? Like, does anyone interested in any of these? Or are these a buyout candidate type situation for the players leaving? Mm. It's a question. hard one, isn't it? I well, mean, I mean, they're not going to move Drew Moore. No. no. So, I mean, Drew Moore is a, is an, an incredibly high character, 
a Great very guy. very important man in the dressing room with a, uh, you know the 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 rebuilding this on the fly this character that that lacked them last year and um that it look he's he knows that he's in his final chapter of his of his career yeah. and so does everybody else in MLS so i mean we we come down to Lawrence Simon i don't think they're going to be able to move him no nope. um so it's down to Mavinga which i don't think they want to move no i don't so think you, they should move Mavinga and, and then it's just Zavaleta so he's the only one yeah it depends if there's any value there for for whether they can get yeah. something in the league but it's going to be difficult it's going to be really difficult uh, moving on to Europe quickly. Uh, thoughts on Sarri's impending move to Juventus? And is it too early to talk Lampard to Chelsea? Never too early because it's <laughs> Chelsea. Never too early. It's Chelsea. You can never, ever write anything off. They're, they're a crazy club. The highs and lows. Sarri, we, I think we both predicted maybe Sarri yeah. went to Juve when he, the Allegri stuff broke a few weeks ago. He's got to go, hasn't he? He's got to go. Yes. He's got to move. Oh, he's going to go. So forgive us if it's already happened, but when you start listening to this, when if you do listen to this later this week, but we think that he's going to go. Yeah. And after that, where did Chelsea go? I mean, I think they'd be insane to go get Frank Lampard so right are. now, but would you put it past them? No, I wouldn't no. put anything past them, but madness. And I think Frank's a smart man and, and I'm sure it's never easy to say no to big jobs like that, but... It wouldn't be great for his career to take that at the moment. He's in a great place. He's, he's, he's hopefully going to get a wee bit more resources at Derby to, to push on and try and get a promotion. And he's learning. He's had a brilliant first season of management. Oh, he can't go into that lion's den at the moment, can he? Either a player or an ex-player of his experience and, and, and his um, respect within the game. He's not going to say no, is he, mate? He's not going to say no, is he? No. Come on. It would be brave to say I no. I agree with and you. And it would be smart to say no. I agree with you. And Frank Lampard's a smart man. Right. And I'm wondering if, it's a hard thing to say no, but it would be a really smart thing to say no. It really would. And I, I'd, I mean, there's so many great managers out there as well, exactly, isn't there? Yeah. Okay. They yeah. can go get somebody, even with, you no, know, Espirito Santo. Yeah, go get him. Go get someone like that. Allegri. Yeah, right. Allegri would be class. Why not? You know, why, I mean, Pochettino might be available. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, one last headline because we're we're going to talk to Kaylin Kyle and uh, and talk about the Women's World Cup. Um, no tabla in the the squad for Canada. You guys chatted with John Herdman on Friday. Uh, thoughts on the entire twenty three man roster? I think, and we'll preview a lot of the Gold Cup next week, won't we? But yeah. I, I think that the tabla one is a bit of a surprise because he's an, an enigma. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen somebody that might be able to come on and make a difference for 10 or 15 minutes in a game. There's not many people who can do what he can do in the squad. However, there's a common theme in this John Herdman era of this Canadian men's national team, and that is players playing. Yeah. And we haven't had that over the last few years. Not that long ago, I was on another show where, where people used to joke and call him Sans FC because he used to have these clubs that come out and there's this player, no club, this player, no club. Sans, you know? Yeah, you know, like, so now we've actually got players playing yeah. consistent minutes at a decent level. Yeah. And so that's what Herdman wants. That's what he requires. And Balu Tabla went to Albacete and played once. Yeah. He's, never, he's not playing. And so maybe it's Herdman's message to him to say, look, mate, you, you can't doss around in the Barcelona reserves again. Mm -hmm. You got to go out and get significant minutes next year for us to be involved. But I have to say, I was I was surprised that he, that he wasn't there. Yeah, um, I was a little bit surprised. I think this is a, a large part to do with the fact that he's not playing a lot of football, a little bit to do with his personality. Mm. And John Herman being worried about him sitting there for a long time watching football yeah, and, and he, tournaments his like, attitude yeah. and what he could be like because 
you know, he picked a young lad in Noble Akello who has <laughs> played no minutes. True. No meaningful minutes ever for any team. Yes, he's going for experience. He is a, a promising player. He's going to be one for the future. I'm not really dissing the decision to pick him in the 23-man squad. But, you know, when you're leaving Tabla for not playing a lot of minutes in in Spain, yeah. it seems a bit... Uh, you're right character you know, comes into double and Herbin did say we want to carry this player just to give him a look at future yeah. tournaments you don't expect him oh, to play much at all absolutely but you and, know and well, to be fair he's it, probably there because Liam Fraser Jay Chapman yeah. wanted to play for TFC instead yeah. and you can't blame him for that I can't blame him for that but you know would it not have been wise to get good tournament experience for Blue Table even if he's not going to play you know he's one for the future so I, I think it's a personality thing that's the point I'm trying yes. to make I think that John was was concerned about Blue Table's attitude if he's not going to play and he wasn't going to play because he's he's not ready to play in a Gold Cup he's not right. up to that level of intensity because he's not played minutes for his club so that that's the reason for me um, the entire squad is, is good there's some great players in it it's very exciting it's a little bit off balance for me. There's not enough defenders in it. <laughs> not John's fault. There's, I don't know other defenders that he could possibly have picked. You know, you got uh, Miller and in, uh, in Orlando, who is going to be you know cover for probably Daniel Henry, Derek Cornelius, and potentially Atiba Hutchinson in that area because of the quality of midfielders. But um, exciting, isn't it, KJ? Mm, it is some good players there. I mean, it'll, we're going to get to see them tested yes. didn't we we're that's what the good thing is yeah excited we'll do a lot of that more previewing next week but it's going to be interesting to see and um, the question from uh, I think it was Jamie who said about Liam Fraser being far behind Mark Anthony K on hashtag AskAFP um, in the end I think it's important to note that Liam Fraser did, wants to play for Toronto FC yeah. and it's different kind of profile than, than Mark Anthony K but well, maybe we'll get into this next week about where is the best place to play Mark Anthony K yeah. in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. All right. Thanks, Johnny, for the headlines. Now moving on to our Women's World Cup preview segment of the show. We have Kaylin Cal on the phone to chat about the tournament as Canada starts their campaign against Cameroon on June 10th. Okay. Joining us now is TSN soccer analyst Kaylin Kyle. Kale, Kaylin, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. I uh, just got to Toronto. There's no snow, so I'm uh, happy about that, coming from Miami, obviously. But um, yeah, it's good to be back in Canada and miss it here. Good to have you back. So I guess we'll start there. Obviously, a, a, a fantastic month to come. We'll get into some of the games and some of the storylines in a minute on the pitch. But how excited are you to, to move over here into this role of being a World Cup analyst on TSN? Yeah, I think that's the first question that everyone always asks me is, you miss playing football or, or soccer for Canadians. Um, but honestly, like I, I feel like I've done so much in my career as a soccer player and achieved everything I wanted to achieve at such a young age. When I retired at, at 27, I knew I wanted to get into the media side of it and the TV side of it. Um, so it was just kind of a perfect gateway for me. I obviously retired earlier than a lot of the other girls. So um, I got the opportunity with TSN uh, for the Canadian Summer Games with Vic Router and I learned a lot from him, and then I've just been working with incredible people along the way, just kind of learning and, and understanding it more. Obviously, I didn't go to school for it or anything, so there's a lot for me to learn it and get better at. But um, I find the more I'm doing it, the better I'm getting and the better feedback I'm getting. So I'm just super excited to be, um, you know, taking my first Women's World Cup, but um, on the other side of it, on the media side. 
Kayla and Stephen here. Um, this World Cup's going to be back in Europe in France this year and there's great excitement around the women's game in, in Europe at club level and, of course, at international level. What have you seen in the advancements there and the excitement in France building up to what's going to be a terrific World Cup? Yeah, I think in Europe in general, um, the women's game has grown immensely since I started playing to now, since I've retired. You have, you know, leagues in Sweden and Germany when I did play, and now you have incredible leagues in England and in France. You have women's clubs like a PSG that is associated with the men's club, and the amount of money that they're putting into it to make them successful, get the best players in the world, speaks volumes for um, women's soccer around the world, and, it, and it's holding a level of professionalism where more professional leagues need to get to. There's a couple teams in the NWSL that meet that standard, but a lot that don't. So I think in order, you know, for the women's game to keep growing, more men's teams, I'd love to see come on board and get um, female programs like Barcelona just did, and, and their their women's team was in um, the, the final um, this last week. So I just think it's incredible to see. But then in France, that's such a football country um, that I wish I was in France, you know, feel the buzz and feel the energy. But just speaking with Karina LeBlanc, she's there right now um, with Fox Sports. And she's been sending me videos and pictures. And she just said that they've done an absolutely incredible job at the host city. And uh, I'm so excited for the tournament to kick off on Friday. Kaylin, we'll get to Canada in a second, but you mentioned France. I'm sure they're one of the favourites in your eyes for this tournament. If it's it, As long as we're talking about France, who else is it as well that you would think, along with the French and obviously the defending champions, Americans, is there anybody out there that you perhaps like better than others to, to be a surprise here in this World Cup? Yeah, I think Germany. Um, I don't think there's really any surprises. I think the World Cup has the best teams in the world. It's not like the Olympic Games because the qualification tournaments are different. So, I think once you get to that World Cup, and especially the the group of 16, it's anyone's game. But like you said, I really like um, England lately. I think they've got a new coach um, there, and he's been remarkable for them, really changed kind of like their playing style, their mental um, side of it as well. And then France, I think they're, they're going to be a phenomenal team. But what I know, obviously, in 2015, as a host nation of a World Cup, it's extremely difficult and extremely different. Um, just with the added pressures of media, your family and friends being on ground right there. Um, so it, we know what comes with being a, a host country of a major tournament. So obviously France has that, their work cut out for them. And then, like you just touched on the Americans, I mean, you look at their roster and it, it just makes me laugh. Like any one of their substitutes on that team would start for any other country in the world. Um, they just have so much depth. So they're able to you know, go out with their starting 11 for maybe game one and then game two switch not one or two players, but five or six players to rest like for that game three. So um, they're always a, a great team in major tournaments. And I feel like they they start off a little bit slow and then they just keep get, like, gaining momentum and momentum and they're a team to be reckoned with. And at, at Canada, for me, I think <clears throat> just watching a lot of the media stuff and it's not ripping on any um, organizations, but Nike just, put out a, an amazing, an amazing um, video to promote the Women's um, World Cup here in France and forgot about Canada. I mean, you have one of the best players in the world of Christine Sinclair not in that video and she's a Nike athlete. So I just think that there's been so many promotional things going on with the women's side and, and Canada's been in none of it, which I don't really understand. I think I would have tweeted out joking, like, have we pissed someone off uh, along the way? But 
that just is another thing for Canada. I feel like everyone thinks that they're underdogs, but I think a lot of people forget that they're fifth in the world for a reason, and it's changed so much even since I left. I mean, the tactical and technical side of this team is so advanced from when I started playing with the national team. I mean, it was and no disrespect to the coaches or the players on the teams before because it worked for Canada, but it was long balls. I mean, as a midfielder, my neck hurt because the balls would just always go over top of us um, and we'd just be winning seconds. And now it's being confident to play from your goalkeeper out through the back into your midfield and, and connecting into your front three. So I just think that they have so many technically gifted players on the Canadian team that it's going to be a fun World Cup to watch them as well. Well, let's talk about Christine Sinclair. I think, you know, World Cup's big for everybody, but maybe none more so than Christine Sinclair. Individually, this World Cup, tell us, in your opinion, Caelan, is she going to do it? Is she going to break the record in France? I think so. I think she's been in the best play in the world for years. Is she an older player? Has she slowed down? Yes. But technically, she's gotten way more smarter because she's had to. So reading how defenders move, reading how her midfield are working, um, and you see it at the club level as well. In four games, I think she had four goals and one assist. I mean, she's 30. I don't want to age her or anything, but I think she's like 35, 36 now, and she's in, in still in great condition, still scoring goals, and I think she'll break this world record at the World Cup, and there's no better place to do it. And I know this sounds bad, and again, I'm not disrespecting organizations, but I think if she does it, I think maybe she'll finally get the recognition she deserves and gets that player of the year award. I mean, she hasn't even been a finalist, um, the three finalists in the past how many years. Um, and I just think it's crazy. I don't know who votes on these players. Um, and again, I'm not being disrespectful, but to have Christine Sinclair not in the, the top three, I mean, year after year is, is insane to me to see. But um, I think, you know, hopefully this World Cup they show. So, you know, this might be Christine Sinclair's last World Cup. So what a great opportunity for her and the team to get the recognition that they finally deserve. I, I think the last six years we've proven ourselves. And obviously John Herdman came in um, in 2011 and now Kenneth took over the team. So um, I'd love to see for this team do well, not only for the players, but just around the world to, to show that Canada's been here for years and, and we're here to stay. Great stuff. Uh, so, Ken, let's get into the Canada team. Obviously, a lot of casual fans who listen to this show will be aware of the likes of Christine Sinclair and the, the, they know the spine of the team. Kadisha Buchanan, obviously, from the from the last World Cup. Desri Scott, Sophie Schmidt. I know Stevie's a big fan of Janine Becky and, and and we like Ashley Lawrence as well, friend of the show. But is there, are there some other names on there or even some of the names I've mentioned that you particularly really like and some names that you'd like to share with our listeners to watch during the next month in France? Yeah, I was extremely lucky. I got to cover the U-17 Women's World Cup where, um, actually, I first saw at the Summer Games for the first um, bit that I did with PSN, and then I saw at the U-17 uh, tournament as well. Julia Grosso, she's a little midfielder, kind of plays as a box-to-box midfielder, extremely, extremely, like, technical, reads the game so well for her age, and she's not afraid to take players on, which... I think is amazing. I mean, you've seen um, Jessie Fleming come in. I think she's been in the program for, what, four years now consistently, and she's kind of taken that midfield role of being the playmaker and being tricky on the ball and being very clever off the ball. And then Julia Grosso, she just adds different dynamics. She's quick. Um, she's got a bomber on the left foot. So I'm excited. I hope she gets to start a few games because I think she has a lot to offer this Canadian team and, it, and a different flair in the midfield. I think she works really well with the likes of Jesse Fleming and Desiree Scott obviously sitting in that hole. 
Um, and then Adriana Leon, I don't think she gets the recognition she ever deserves. She's technically on the ball. She plays almost like a male player. She's the, the tricks that she comes out with and, and the shots that she has on net are, are insane to see. Um, she usually comes off the bench, and I think, you know, I haven't really seen her start in a lot of Canadian games, but with West Ham United, um, she, she started loads of the games there and, and was extremely successful. Obviously, I think this is the strongest Canadian front three that we've had in years um, with regards to having depth. Again, not being disrespectful to any um, past players on the team, but just that technical um, ability. Um, this year, we haven't seen too many goals, obviously, from that front three, but what I like is the goal that we have seen isn't from one player of Christine Sinclair. It's come from last game, like Adriana Leon coming off the bench. So I think she's one to watch as well. She's a really exciting player, and and you guys already touched on her. Ashley Lawrence, for me, is the all-around incredible player. Um, she's playing, obviously, outside back. I love her. I mean, she can play in the midfield. She could probably play as a winger. Um, but she's just a great leader on the team as well. And, and um, yeah, she's just really exciting. The Dutch have a very young, up-and-coming team and squad. And, of course, the Euro 2017 champions. Are they going to be the biggest threat for Canada in the groups, Kaylin? And, and how do you think they can fare? Can they go all the way? Do they have the quality and the experience to do it? I think they have a really good balance. And, and like I said before, I think they'll make it out of their group. I think the Netherlands is going to be their toughest match. Um, I think New Zealand, obviously, it's coached by a coach that um, was our assistant coach in 2015. So he knows the Canadian side well. He knows our platforms and how we play at the back very well. Um, but I think Canada's dominance there is going to be their strength and pace in that match. Um, but yeah, I definitely think the Netherlands, they're big, they're fast, they're strong. Um, so for me, Canada's going to need to play smart, maybe a bit more of defensive game and catch them on the break. But um, I think they'll finish, Canada will finish one, one or two in our group. And then, like I said, it's the round of 16. It's, it, it's literally anyone's game. I was looking at the bracket um, a couple days back and I was, there's no easy game. Like usually there's an easier path to the final. Um, like in 2015, we kind of had an easier road to the final until we hit um, England, which at the time England was should have been an easier game. Um, but um, I think, yeah, once they get to that 16, then see who they cross over with. But definitely think they should make it out of their group, maybe first or second. Um, but the Netherlands, for me, is the game where it'll be, I mean, think they'll all be exciting, but I think the Netherlands will be, you know, back and forth match for me. And if they do finish second in their group, they would finish second. They would go head to head with the team from second place in Group F, which is USA, Sweden, Chile, and Thailand. And a reminder: Canada are in Group E. Netherlands, Canada, New Zealand, and Cameroon. Last question from me, Kaylin, is about that. I guess the final destination. We've talked a lot about the journey. You're going to be on it with them as well. What ultimately will be a success and I guess failure for Canada? Is it down to just that last 16 match? If they win that and get to the last eight and make a quarterfinal, would you be saying that it's a success? And if maybe they don't, then maybe that'll be a big disappointment. Is it as fair to say it just comes down to that one knockout round? No, I honestly think if they don't get past the quarters, I think this team will be very disappointed with the quality and depth that they have on this team and, and the technical ability. I think... Um, you know, just from speaking with a few of the girls, the final is their, is what they see. And I, I know when you always ask players and you always ask teams what's the goal of the tournament, everyone's like, bring the World Cup back home to their home nation. But I genuinely think, speaking to these girls, you can kind of feel it in their voice. They want to win a World Cup. You know, they've gotten bronze the last two Olympics. We got knocked out of the quarters against England in 2015. So I genuinely think that they would be disappointed without coming home 
with the medal. Obviously, they'd love to be in that gold medal match, but um, I definitely think it would be a huge disappointment if, if they don't get through to those quarterfinals and, and win their quarterfinal match. But, um, you know, for me, like I said, like I don't want to add pressure to any of these girls that have been in this situation before where, you know, you just want Canadian support or you want Canadians to tune in and, and you want messages of, you know, belief and support and, and you got this, girls. I just think it, it helps a lot. And I, and I know social media is like newer, but even reading messages that, you know, Canadian people are watching back home because it's not um, in our country this year. Um, it's just, it just adds an extra energy that you want to play for Canada anytime, especially on the women's side, you pull on that Canadian jersey. It's all about the crest. It's never about the name on the back. They don't get paid multi-millions of dollars. Some of them are, you know, coaching on the side to, you know, save money at the end of the year. So for these girls, it's literally they're playing for their country, their family, and their friends, and everything they sacrifice to get to this level. So um, for me, I just want to see them do so well because I know how much, energy and effort it takes and the hard work it takes to play at this level and I know they have what it takes this year. Well said and you're right there will be millions of people watching in Canada you'll be helping to deliver that message um, from two guys who did it last year in the Men's World Cup and thoroughly enjoyed it enjoy it okay enjoy the enjoy the month we'll thank be, you we'll be watching and thanks again for joining us today Kaylin. thanks Kaylin. good luck no thank you so much for having us cheers we'll speak soon thank you again thanks to Kaylin, who hopefully has a wonderful time this next month on the tsm panel covering the world cup it's a blast isn't it i mean we oh did, yeah we did it last year um it's a grind it's real fun nothing there's nothing bad about it at all we spent a, an insane amount of time together <laughs> we wish we were doing it again yeah we, wish we, do. we were doing the women's world cup again for tsn we've been asked uh we weren't asked this time back to do it uh, for the women's world cup but we will be following the games certainly and we'll yes. be continuing to watch them and uh, talking about them on this on this platform as well um talking of which Kaylin did a few little analysis there to help us out a little bit, but yep. why not? Well, let's have some fun. Let's have five okay. minutes of predictions. Let's so go let's go through the Women's World Cup and uh, have a little bit of predictions. For those of you who aren't aware, it is a 24-team tournament, six groups of four. I bring that up right away because, you know, me and my analytical brain goes in these directions. <laughs> but I remember this last time when I did the Women's World Cup in 2015, there's always an advantage for two group winners. I don't know if you saw me tweet about this yeah. this morning. So... Every time 24 teams are in a World Cup, if you think about it, the way that goes through, what the two group winners, and stay with me here, it's not too complicated, <laughs> I hope, two group winners end up playing a team in the quarterfinals who didn't win the group. Right. So they're theoretically teams, let's call them seventh and eighth best team out of the eight. Okay. So that's an advantage, yeah, is absolutely. it not? Absolutely. So over the last few years, so we've got we've got five tournaments for reference here. We've got the 1986, 1990, and 1990 for men's world cup right we've got euro 2016 and we've got the women's world cup from 2015 every time in those tournaments a1 and d1 were the teams or the slots yeah. that didn't play a group winner in the quarterfinals right do you want to know who was a1 in 1986 yes argentina okay do you want to know okay. who they won do you want to know who was <laughs> d1 in 1990 West Germany, <laughs> they, they won okay. the World Cup, right? <laughs> now, in 1994, Brazil won, they were B1, but A1 was that Romania-Sweden thing, so Sweden okay. became yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And D1, Italy finished third and beat the, 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 the winners of D, Group D, which I think was Nigeria. So okay. they became D1 and wow, got to the finals. Right. Okay, stay with me. In Euro 2016, <laughs> A1, France, uh -huh. got to the final. Yep. D1 was Croatia, who lost in the ninth, last 16 to... Portugal, who yes. then took that run of D1. Right. right. Okay. World Cup 2015, <laughs> A1 was Canada, uh -huh. and they lost in the quarterfinal to a second place team was England. D1 to finish it all off, 
United States yeah. the whole thing. Okay. So there's a clear yeah. sign. Advantage there, there's an advantage there. there. This year, for some reason, I don't know why, but it's no longer A1 and D1. It's D1 and B1. Oh. So just to keep it simple, I'm going Germany, England in the final. Oh, England are looking good. They'll be happy with I've that. The Germans what about Scotland? They could win that group. Sorry, mate. I don't have them getting through to my last 16. <laughs> I, I have them finishing third, but I've got my, my, my four teams to get through as third place teams of South Korea, China, Italy, and New Zealand. Uh, I have uh, Norway playing Australia. Auss- Aussies beating them. England beating New Zealand. France beating Italy. US beating Spain. And uh, China shocking Brazil. Netherlands beating Japan. Germany beating South Korea. And then Canada narrowly beating Sweden. Why not? Let's do Ooh. that. And then in the quarterfinals, England to beat the Aussies. Uh, France to beat America, the United States in the wow, quarterfinals. that'll be a big game. Get them out. Yeah. And, and, uh, sorry, I just like France. I, I, you know why I like France? Because yeah. in 2015, I did this tournament in depth and they were magnificent in Montreal against great, Germany yeah. and they yeah. got robbed. I watched that game. Yeah, they I remember were that one. Uh, Amadine Henry is a terrific player. Yeah. Uh, Netherlands to beat China and Germany, I'm sorry, to beat Canada. And then in the semis, I've got England beating France and Germany beating the Netherlands and Germany winning the World Cup because Germany... Oh, Jennifer Marazan plays for Jennifer Marazan is the best player. Marazan, you love her, don't you? She's, She's a great brilliant. player, mate. Terrific She's player. She's fantastic. So why not? She? So there's my picks and uh, just based on history. D1, Germany. Well, uh, B- B1, Germany. Why I've not? clearly not went as in-depth as you as, as always, but... It's only 10 I, minutes. You know who I'm... I'm going to pick a couple of little picks here, Please right? do, yeah. I think Spain might be surprising. Yeah. Okay, they've had some good results. They're, they're improving. Their their domestic league's improving, and they've had some decent friendly results. And I think they might be a bit of. I don't know. Kaylin just said it, didn't she? That nobody's really a, an underdog. There's a lot of strong teams in this, but they might be. You ones always that get do well. somebody. No. We're, yeah. We're gonna get some do. team in the quarters. So you just like, whoa, where did they come from? You I'm do. sure you will. I think I'm 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 really big on a European team winning this. Yeah, me too. I really am, and uh, you know, I think France have a great chance. They're they're usually, certainly the men's side, very strong when they're at home. Yeah. They, they get real strength from that. I don't think that they're a nation who who necessarily feel the pressure. And I know they lost Euros 2016, but I think they're a, pressure, a, a nation that embrace that pressure, KJ, that that feeling, that goodwill mm-hmm. that goes around the country. They're going to be they're going to be uh, strong as well. And England look great. Yeah, they, they do. look really good. They've been they've been getting little bit better all the time so they're going to be great but I'm tipping Scotland to beat them in the groups oh yeah well you have to I'm joking (laughs) talking of good great Scotland's first World Cup can we talk about that a little bit Kim Little's the star (laughs) (laughs) Shelley Kerr's done a wonderful job there she's a fantastic coach I hear I know people that did their their coaching badges why don't you cut me off let me talk about my Scotland for a minute or two you know (laughs) and uh, you know a real credit to the nation that they're actually there and they're in a tough group but but credit to them they should enjoy it and embrace it it's great for football in the country nothing like a real World Cup eh? this is going to be tremendous and I know I think there's a big report coming out tomorrow I think in terms of um, just how popular the women's game is becoming around the globe. So it's great to see that. You talk about the... the nation embracing it and the mood of France. Well, Luke Warman will be there. So we'll yes, be we'll get some updates. We should get him on the we'll phone. We'll get him on the phone, will we? We'll go, I don't uh, know probably, if we will. He probably won't come on the phone because... Why? He, uh, just he's Luke, isn't he? That's He'll probably walk in or, well, or in the Seine or in a, some cafe or something like that, I should think. It'd be miserable to sit on <laughs> near the end of the walk. We'll get him, get him near the end. Get him near the end. When his family's cynical, gone home, he's all by himself. <laughs> he's miserable. You know, everybody else 
is drinking wine and he's like, I'll have a glass of water. <laughs> and um, we'll get him on and, and send him messages on Twitter. Say, just put pressure on him. You know, yeah, sometimes, yeah, you yeah. know, you think Luke's not on there. Trust me, he's on he's there more than there. us. Um, all right. Over to uh, Shawnee for hashtag ask AFP. Thanks, KJ. Uh, a couple of questions before we head out. Obviously, we had a lot to talk about about the Women's World Cup. So it's a little shorter version of Ask AFP. Uh, James asks, what's your overall impression for the quality of play in the CPL? Uh, better, same, or worse than expected? It's a good question. One I find hard to answer because I haven't been to a game live yet, only because I haven't seen any, I haven't had any availability because of our work yeah. schedule. Uh, I'm going to go with better only because of what I've seen briefly on television that I think the tempo has been a little bit better than I, than I thought. Um, but you know, it's a big week coming up for them with the, the games for the, the Canadian championship as well to, yeah. to see where they, they all break away and, um, as well. So like I said, I'd like to be involved a little bit more in giving it a better answer, uh, and seeing more games live, but maybe I will be able to get to some more over the summer. Yeah. That, I'd say marginally better. Um, I think it's been a good start. I think that, um, settled down a little bit, just need to keep the momentum going. Um, Interesting to see that the, the the League One Ontario representative Vaughn and and also the um, the Quebec equivalent I can't remember what it's called but Blainville did extremely well against CPL yeah, teams did. so you know that, that that shows you maybe the gaps not that huge between League One Ontario where my Oval Blue Devils play and uh, and obviously CPL now the big test is going to be in the Canadian Championship how big is the gap between say an Ottawa we, we know it's going to be large between Vancouver and Montreal but but uh, Ottawa's going to be a bit of a gap it just needs to keep going doesn't it just keep the momentum going everyone just keep getting out there supporting it there's been some some good players so far I think Borges has, has caught the eye at Forge and um, you know, it's been quite exciting. Some of the stadiums have been full and I, I just hope to see it keep staying on that upward trajectory. I know we're going to talk about uh, Gold Cup a lot next week, but uh, Devang asks, uh, what do you think a positive result would be for Canada at the Gold Cup? Um, we asked John Herbin that, didn't we? And he kind of... Yeah. Did he give us a, a strange answer. Yeah. I, I don't think he wants to commit to this. Look, there's always fine lines in tournaments of success and failure. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to one match. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think he wants to commit right now. I can understand this. Just saying, if we win a quarterfinal, it's a success. Yeah. If we don't win a quarterfinal, it's not a success. I think when you're his... In his life and his mentality has to be based on performance and the results take care of itself and sometimes it may not take place based on performance so if he comes out and says oh we've got we've got to win a quarterfinal yeah now, what if they go out and play costa rica in a quarterfinal and are terrific and get knocked out in penalties yeah is that a failure it's not is it so no. it, it but it's one of those where we have to wait to judge it it's, we ought to see what they're about i of want course. them to go out and and really dominate two of their three group games mm -hmm. and dictate the style of play, build an identity, show some character and, and have a little bit more moments than they did in the last World Cup. And that's not just based on individual yep. players, a yep. true collective attacking unit. Yeah, uh, Mexico will take care of itself and then be ready for that game, that yeah. Costa Rica game and, not, and, and go out there and really be in it. Go out there and do it. Yeah, Remember? John alluded to the fact that he might make some changes for that middle game against Mexico did, yeah. and coming thick and fast, didn't he? And, and, the one thing I liked about that answer was that he suggested we're going to get them again in the semi. Uh, he felt that, you know, that was a chance and then they were sort of going to have a go then. Um, I don't want that to be a chance. I'd rather see them have a bit of a go in the group game. Yeah. Really attack the group. You're right. Two big performances against Martinique and Cuba. 
uh, attack Mexico as much as they can in the in the second game and have a bit of a go. The result will take care of itself. And then, you know, I am going to put my neck in the line. I think they need to win a quarterfinal. I've said it all along. They're probably going to be Costa Rica. They've got to win a big game and get to a semi-final. If that happens, terrific tournament. Young guys have got experience. Two, three, four guys will have certainly really rose to the top in terms of performances if if these things happen and, and they'll be right prospects they'll be better for it having went through a Gold Cup campaign for the future and um, and the country will be better for it but I'm with you KJ it's, it's, it's too it's too um, basic to say win or lose a quarter final and it's a success or not you're right they could play terrifically well but mm. they played pretty well against Jamaica two yep, years ago that's true and they went out you know so They've got to win. Tournament's about winning, Shawnee. Yeah. They've got to win. Find a way of winning. Get to that semi-final. It'll be a terrific tournament. Last question. And obviously, as we said at the start, the European season's closing, but there's so much international soccer. John asks, what are your thoughts on the Copa America? And who are you most excited to watch play? Um, Argentina and playing in Brazil, if they could somehow pull it off, is the most thing that is the thing that tantalizes me the most. I don't know about you. That's this, a story. The drought it? since '93, Messi's chance again, losing finals consistently. I mean, good to see. It looks like Barcelona said Suarez is fit, and good. so he's back. And uh, I think I think Guido Pizarro actually just got called up for Argentina for a late. Re- uh, there, was a, there was an injury. I think Palacios got hurt. But All right. Brazil's group's comfortable. Bolivia, Venezuela, oh Peru will be difficult. They should be fine at home. Neymar's a trouble. He's troublemaking again yeah, as usual yeah. um, that's a storyline that won't go away but um, yeah for me I'm excited about Argentina there's a lot I love South American football so I love everything about it Chile, Paraguay you name it Colombia there's so many exciting games there we're going to love to watch many of them but the story's, the story's messy in Argentina yeah one of the best games I've watched in the last five or ten years was the, the, the one last time Chile and Argentina the final it was incredible KG remember we were texting back yeah, and forward when we were watching it just the pace and and that the randomness of South American football. It's it's eighteen yard box to eighteen yard box and they just attack, attack, attack. I don't know how they keep up the the energy and the pace. There's, there's no tactics to it. It's just a random uh, technical game and so I'm excited for the tournament I think it's going to be great I think Venezuela might be quite interesting they've got mm. some good players they've got some youth they're they're finished way down I think they were last in, in the World Cup qualifying but they're getting better so that might be one to watch they were in the semis when they're not in the under 20 World yeah, Cup yeah and Peru are going the other way a little bit I feel so keep an eye on that one but um the story is Brazil and Argentina mm. Brazil and Brazil is always a story they're expected to win every tournament they're in when they're at home it ramps up 100%, 100% doesn't yeah, it yeah. so can uh, can can Argentina cause a big upset and, and, and maybe defeat Brazil it's going to be great Messi will be it's will be, be well up for it after he's disappointing end to season with Barcelona as well and as usual we will be watching many of those games and covering them here with Gold Cup Women's World Cup yep. Copa America we're busy not, summer for busy us summer. again we're mate. not going away anyway and uh, well not going anywhere until at least what July 7th when all three of those <laughs> yeah. wrap up on the yeah, same yeah. day that's it for this week as you guys have we'll noticed we need three hours for that show we by may the way. actually need three hours yeah that's it for this week as you guys have noticed we've moved to our recordings to Monday during the European off-season so keep an eye on Monday evenings for the podcast to drop once again thanks to Dylan to Sean to Clay and you of course the listeners without you we would be nothing see you next Monday after Canada play Cameroon in France